2: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game, with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you this evening? We're recording in the evening just before we, I don't know, what do we call it? Broadcast? Drop? Land?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're we're too old to know the, <laughs> the correct terminology, I suspect. I'd
2: say, Kieran, you're looking. Uh, it's nice to see you back in your little man cave studio type thing. But the lighting you've got here is very, it's rather sultry as okay. as a bulb gone, as my dad would say.
0: Uh, well, like like everybody else, it's uh, it's seven or eight days before payday, and <laughs> I'm skinned, so I'm keep keeping the bulbs to a minimum. <laughs> Oh, so the
2: poor old Baroness having to cut just the two straws in the cocktails tonight, is it for the Baroness? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Newsday, Kieran, or the evening before Newsday. Let's let's put it. Let's be fair, so people don't get confused. But as people listen to this, it's Newsday, and our, our first story, Kieran, I, I got um, I got some some kickback, I got some 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 poking, some prodding, from our last pod because uh, we we had a story about John Texter possibly being interested in selling his stake in Crystal Palace. And I said, I think we should hold this over, because I've heard some some rumors and that stuff might be happening. And and lo and behold, on various WhatsApp groups and, and various text messages I got from Palace fans I know saying, What do you know that we don't? Is it about the manager? Is it about and and I've got as many people going, You're a bullshit merchant. You're trying to get people to listen to the pod. You know nothing. <laughs> but it it turns out Uncle Kevin, every now and again through accident or design, his ear to the ground does pick up some actual drum beats. And it turns out that it's reported, the male in particular carried this story, that Palace are in talks with the RAIN group. Um, now, I, I like you, Kieran, perhaps you could remind our listeners who the RAIN group are. And I'd be interested in your opinion as to whether or not this is yet another example of a fractured ownership structure or whether this is a rare Indication of some financial foresight on behalf of the people that run Palace.
0: Right, uh, the Rain Group are a, a banking stroke advisory organisation. They assisted Roman Abramovich in respect of the sale of Chelsea to the Todd Bowley Group uh, for a fee, which I think was certainly at the top end of expectations. They also advised the Glazer family in relation to the 25% sale to Sir Jim Ratcliffe. And on the back of that, they trousered a, a not inconsiderable £31.5 million for the privilege of finding somebody who was interested in buying Manchester United. That's, that's a tricky tricky task, as, <laughs> as we all agree. Um, so the, the story that's come through the mail, this has come from uh, Matt Hughes, I believe, uh, is that they have been tasked by Crystal Palace with uh, the aim of trying to find some funding in respect of the newsstand. So you know, so Palace yeah, wanting to extend the capacity of, of Selhurst to, you know, you know this far better than I do, but you know, I'd imagine sort of mid, mid-30s. 34,000, In terms yeah. of capacity. Yeah, yeah from, 20,
2: from 26,
0: 000. yeah. yep. Um, and I would imagine that a significant element of that would be, for want of a better phrase, for the prawn sandwich brigade. Because, you know, as, as we've established, it's all very well building uh, new stadiums. If you've, if you've got fans who are paying seven, eight hundred pounds a season for a, for a ticket, you're not actually getting your money back. So, so you, you need to have the, the facilities to attract the, the corporate uh, fans and hospitality and so on. Um, the cost of the new stand has risen significantly since it was first mooted it's not a criticism of palace um construction costs have gone up significantly you know on the back of ukraine you know, steel prices are up labor costs are up general overheads are up as well so i think the initial uh, estimated fee of 105 million has gone up by 45 Where's that money going to come from? So this is where the name of the rain group has been brought into the equation. Now, in addition to that, we we do have um, John Texter, um, the former skateboarder um, and now uh, multi-club owner of football teams. I think it's fair to say he's not very popular Um his Brazilian team, I think, managed to somehow throw away a 14-point lead. Uh, is it is it but uh, Bontefago? Botefogo, like Botefogo, yeah. Botefogo. Um and then at the weekend he he, he owns eighty percent of um, RWD Molenbeek in in Belgium. And the match there was abandoned when fans decided that they were not happy with the level of performance, which has been, I think, the plight word is erratic. Um, and they threw firecrackers on the pitch and the match ended up being abandoned and the club had a €50,000 fine. But this is this is indicative of a broader issue, is does he actually know what he's doing? Um, which which has been questioned. And, you know, and we're not here, this isn't the nature of the show, to... To, to look at somebody's uh, decision-making process. But we've always said it's an important one. And there is a concern that with some of the new breed of investors, they understand investment, they don't understand football, and perhaps a unique skill you know, a skill set and knowledge set is required. So could uh, could he be looking to divest of his shares in Palace using the uh, raising of funds to extend the stadium as a bit of a smokescreen. What well, the answer is is yes. Yeah, clearly, the I think the relationship with Steve Parrish isn't great, from what we're hearing. Um, Steve Parrish owns a small proportion of the shares, but because of the voting structure, he's a much sig- more significant share of the votes. And uh, the Texter is, is sort of being moaning and grumbling, and you, you've hinted at this in the past so so that's where we are at present um from the people i talk to you know if if i say to them our palace in play for want of a better phrase from a from a uh, an m a point of view yeah i get the standard answer everybody's up for sale if the price is right um but palace are probably more up for sale than some other clubs
2: well, that's the complication because it seems that um, Steve Parrish isn't up for sale, that, that he's the one who's most reluctant to divest his uh, share of the club. The issue with John Texter for Palace fans and for people who follow football finances is, is it seems of the of the multi-club uh, organisation he is part of, it seems that Leon, who he owns outright, are the club he sees as his alpha club, for want of a better yeah. word. Uh, there's talk of him trying to um, attract Karim Benzema to Lyon. And of course, Palace fans wondered about then his financial commitment to Palace. If he's spending a lot of money. Uh, we, we know there are talks of investigation by French authorities around him. The original story we were supposed to talk about on Sunday was talk about him uh, selling off his, his Palace shares, but the difficulty of selling only 40% of the club. But what I find interesting about this rain group story because it wasn 't quite the story that i'd heard because uh, i I'd, I'd heard they were potentially looking for for buyers, but the the story that the mail says is that this is simply an attempt to raise the money to build the stand It took six years to get all the planning permissions, all the legal stuff stuff around Sainsbury stuff around local residents, and stuff around the car park it took years to get that sorted out, and as you say. In that time, the cost of the new stand has gone up by 45 to 50%. So apparently, we're only looking for new investors to build that. Most Palace fans look at the amount of money that the owners are worth and think, well, the money they're talking about, they have already. So it seems odd that they go into the RAIN group just to raise a bit of building money, especially when John Texter, when he originally came in, it was specified that John Texter's only investment was going to be in infrastructure. He wasn't going to take part in, in investing in the team. It was only going to be... Essentially, he was coming in to build the new stand. We'd have five years of, of 10,000 extra people eating prawn sandwiches. He'd cash in off the back of that. So it, it, it seems to a lot of Palace fans that this is, a, this is a sledgehammer to crack a nut. If we're going to the rain group just to raise a bit of extra money to build the stand, that seems a bit odd.
0: It, it does. And this this is going to sound really sniffy. Why would the Rain Group get involved in a forty-five million pound fundraising deal when when they charged thirty-one million in respect of the Manchester United deal? You know, it, it, it's, yeah, it's I'm not saying it's beneath them, but there are certain organisations that, you know, just as a, you know, uh, you know, if you, if you talk to certain supermodels, they say oh, I don't get out of bed for less than ten thousand pounds. Well, the Rain Group, they don't get out of their corporate bed. Um, you know how much is their commission going to be on a 45 million pound or 45 million dollar whatever it's going to be fundraiser that to me seems very strange um, especially to go around Hawking well, exactly what are they Hawking you know, it's, it's not the opportunity to acquire palace because it does look as if Steve parish is, is you know acting as the blocker here um I suspect there's more to this than meets the eye
2: right okay. Yeah, because you do wonder what investment opportunities there are in for whatever huge investment company the Rain Group attract to you know, building a, a few new boxes at Sellers Park. There, um, you're right by the way. It did sound sniffy, but well done. I shall, I shall look for an attempt to denigrate Brighton and Hove Albion at some stage in the near future, Kieran. Uh, it'll probably have the word <laughs> probably have the word quinoa in it. Um, secondly, apart from the Baroness, how many supermodels have you spoken to? on a... Any kind of basis,
0: in in Moscow, one or two. Oh, of course. Uh, in the
2: UK, zero. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to Kate Moss once, but I doubt she has any memories of the conversation. It was very brief <laughs> and pretty, <laughs> pretty much one way. And it was late at night. Let's leave it at that. Um, <laughs> Derby County, uh, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's amazing. There will be Derby fans who see their name on that on your your mind map of. Potential subjects, and they will be. Some of them will be quite pleased. The old nostalgia will kick in, and it will be like the days when we spoke about nothing but Derby County. Uh, there's some
0: news on their financial uh, figures since coming out of administration. That, that's that's right. I mean, Derby have not published any financial information themselves since 2018. Yeah, and it's in 2024. And the reason for that is that Mel Morris and Stephen Pierce they used the EFL investigation and then they used covid as a smokescreen to to not be transparent which i think was was very disappointing um the club is now owned by david clowes and uh yeah, everybody i speak to has nothing but very high praise for the fact that he effectively overpaid for the club taking it out of administration uh, but he did that because he's he's a decent guy. He wanted to ensure that the unsecured creditors did get at least their twenty five percent back, um, and and fair play to him because I think Derby were were reaching the end of the administration and it could have gone one of two ways. Uh, so he's he's done a fantastic job, and and that has come at a cost. Um, his property company, which is very successful. Um, produced its financial results and sort of hidden away in the small print was the fact that Derby were now part of the group for nine months. Um, the money coming into the club, very impressive for a League One club, £16.5 million, pounds, and they didn't have a, a sponsorship deal for part of that time. So yeah, that's testament to the Derby fans who've been filling out Pride Park since then. The concern, and it's not a big concern, is that they they were losing – uh yeah around about seven hundred grand a month, seven hundred and fifty grand a month. Uh you know, as a as a start-up. You could argue that part of that would be to the fact that he he effectively inherited a football club with four players. Um and they've had to uh, accelerate since then. Where it leaves Mel Morris, you know I'm I'm hearing variety of stories but i've heard some sources which i would say are very reliable that he's lost in excess of of 200 million pounds but yeah, that that was the approach that he took and and, uh you know I'm, i'm i'm not saying i'm not certainly not one of his fans but he it looks as if he sold the property company which or the company which was set up which owned pride park um he effectively sold Pride Park for one pound, or he sold that company for one pound. And he said to David Cloud, Look, there's a £22 million loan there. You settle the loan um, and you will have the stadium, which was valued at 81 million. So um, that appears to be his his parting gift um as far as Derby was concerned. And yeah, nothing's been heard of him. Since then, you know, if, if, you, if you Google Mel Morris, he used to be fairly high profile when he was the, the owner of Derby. He's, he's gone very much underground since then.
2: So basically, you can sum that up as the good news for Derby fans uh, who would have been anxious seeing their name on the, on the list of contents is that they've gone back to losing the sort of money that every other club loses on a weekly level in the, in the Championship of the League One.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the the average losses in League One um, are around about seven or eight hundred grand a year. So, you know, to lose six point eight million is is significant. But I do think that there are extenuating circumstances in respect of Derby, and yeah, I don't think Mel Morris was ever a Derby fan. I think Mel Morris was always a Mel Morris fan who just happened to use Derby County as a vehicle to. Uh, you know, to stroke his ego. Uh, David Klaus is the opposite. He's very low profile, but by all accounts, you know, he's been Derby through and through. Um, And, you know, I've speaking to a lot of people locally there and they are full of praise that he is the real deal. And also, I can't name the people, Senior people in football have spoken very highly of him as well in terms of the very professional way that he's conducted himself and the way that he's dealt with the EFL and so on.
2: Yeah. Remind me, Kieran, the way Guy originally phrased this question in the script was that Derby have lost 6.8 million on turnover of 16.5. For some reason, I cannot keep the definition of turnover. in my. I know one of the reasons is drinking a bottle of wine during the pod. I accept that. But for some reason, turnover is – I've got amortisation. I think I've pretty much got that nailed in. But turnover is one of those things that business people always use. And I always – because turnover is not profit, is it?
0: No, turnover's. is – I don't know why they use the word turnover. Turnover's revenue. It's the, it's the money generated from ticket sales, the TV deal, and the commercial deal. Right. So it's your, your top line number before you start to deduct the expenses of the club, which will give you a profit or a loss. Right.
2: Now, we've talked a lot, Kieran, since this pod began about Blackburn Rovers, mainly in a sort of baffled uh, turn as to why the Venkis are still involved. There's never been a stage since the pod started when we've gone, oh, Blackburn are in trouble, um, but they just crop up from time to time because it seems to be a strange ownership model. But it, mm. it, it seems this week that a judge in the Venkis' home country will be having a major say in the finances mm. of Blackburn.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, it has we have been a bit flippant, I would say, with regards yep. to the Venkies. Um, and you know, I, I do have a secret rover who <laughs> okay. has been very beneficial to the show in giving me some of the inside track. Um, and, that, and that again we sort of, we sort of you know, woven that into stories. The Venkies have been very generous and benevolent owners. Um, which is you know, astounding since they've not attended a match since January 2013. We're Whoa. talking 11 years. Wow. Um, and I think the reason for this is is in January 2013, um, a rather grumpy Rovers fan lobbed a snowball at one of the Venkies in the director's <laughs> box. And, and they said, well, what is, what is this nonsense? bit away with you. We're not going to attend any matches. But since then, you know, again, according to my secret rover, every time the club has needed money... To pay for a player, if there's been a a gap in the wage bill that needed funding, if there was a particular expense, they just phone them up and you you get a conversation. And twenty four hours later, there's there's a bank transfer. Things back in India have, however, deteriorated. Um, we know that there were some issues probably six months ago with regards to some properties owned by the Venkis and potential tax issues. Um, the the Modi government in uh, India, which, uh, like, sadly, many places, which you sort of regarded as historically being democratic, is becoming increasingly authoritarian in nature. And one of the ways that it deals with that is that it tries to stop its citizens from transferring money overseas. Now, what the venkis have done is is effectively to the you know, the thick end of 20 million pounds a year on many an occasion is that they have provided money going out of india and into the uk um, they now have a specific law which has been introduced in india and the only way that the venkis can get uh, money across to rovers is if they get emergency permission from the government Do they need emergency permission? Well, if this story is true, then they do and they need it fairly quickly because HMRC haven't been paid. There's allegations for an outstanding £26 million tax bill. And if HMRC don't get their way, um, and and we've seen this with other clubs, you know, again, it became a bit of a standing, I'd say it was a standing joke, but it was never funny um, in relation to Ron Martin and... Uh, HMRC in South End in that he would always avoid paying tax and then they'd issue a winding up order and then you know, as if by magic he'd find the money at the at eleven fifty nine pm I think this could become more complicated in respect of rovers and, and that's why i'm uh, quite concerned uh, because if the government doesn't give permission then there's going to be an issue i think the the venkis advisors are going to the Indian government and saying look We've put in two hundred million quid into Rovers um, from a point of view of of saving face, but also saving our investment. You've got to give permission, and now some bureaucrat is going to go away and uh, you know assess the evidence and, and perhaps give them permission or not. If if the, if it doesn't give permission, we've got a problem.
2: I, I owe Blackburn Rovers fans an apology, Kieran, because I, I assumed this was going to have another flippant outcome, but it. I mean, that's a worrying story, but it also indicates something that you've spoken about since the very first week of the pod in terms of ownership models, that, that sometimes when you have a a benevolent uh, dictatorship, for want of a better word, where where the money is on tap and for many, many years is on tap, and then suddenly, yeah. for whatever reason, and sometimes it's out, out with the the control of the actual owners themselves, the, the tap is it's dried up. Then you, you suddenly, out of nowhere have a problem because you've you've become complacent. You've just expected money to be paid. So there will be somebody at Blackburn who's been thinking to themselves, well, we have got this tax bill outstanding, but it doesn't matter because we'll just give the Venkies a call and it'll be resolved.
0: Yeah. I mean they've they've Rovers have used the Venkies as the bank of mum and dad and, and that's fine until either circumstances change. And we saw that in the case of chelsea and uh, roman abramovich or the attitude of the owners change as we, as we saw with derby and mel morris yeah when he got bored um he just decided to put the club into administration and that's always a risk and, and that's a risk at, at any club which is reliant upon owner funding for a lot a significant period of time you, you can't imagine though and if the worst came to the worst that
2: uh, a, a traditional club like blackburn in the heartland of historical
0: english football wouldn't be an attractive proposition for another buyer would it if if the price is right um then there's always a potential buyer but at the same time Blackburn is surrounded by other clubs you know in Lancashire so it has a limited uh, demographic spread it's been losing money hand over fist year in year out um without the venkis i think it yeah, it would have struggled in in the championship to to be competitive um and whilst i i don't see nobody you know, i don't see a problem in terms of finding a new owner um you, you're going to have to work reasonably hard to, to persuade somebody. It's it's not the it's not how much it's going to cost you to buy the club. Your problems start once the club is bought. Yeah, you know, and, and we we've, we've said that. Uh, you know, I, I spoke to one owner, you know, and I know it's glib. It's a bit like owning a racehorse: the two best days, the day you buy it and the mm. day you sell it.
2: Yeah, I I, I hope this story resolves. I've had some actually, I've had some quite rough nights in Blackburn as well. One playoff night in particular, when the train got ambushed on the way out on the way home was rather hairy. Um, but I've had some really nice times in Blackburn, I have to say. Although I also have to say that thanks to the Beatles, I was rather disappointed by the number of holes in Blackburn, Lancashire, the first time I went there. As we were expecting many more holes than there actually were. That's what happens when you grow up living your life and getting <laughs> a geographical knowledge from a pop band. Big clubs, traditionally big clubs, have put out their latest accounts. Kira, Middlesbrough first and then Notts County.
0: Yes, um, we have seen a, uh, a, quite a few clubs from uh, the EFL Championship last season put out their results. Um, I'm, I'm sure this is just an amazing coincidence that it uh, was a couple of days after the uh, Richard Masters car crash. Uh, in front of <laughs> Parliament where he was he was trying to justify the Premier League delaying and then reducing and then trying to extinguish um, their financial commitments uh, or obligations or whatever you want to do in, in terms of the so-called New Deal with clubs in the EFL. So um, Middlesbrough lost 550 grand a week in 22-23, they, they offset that to a certain extent because they sold Jed Spence to Spurs. They sold Tavernier, I think, to Bournemouth. So it, it did reduce the losses, but they still lost a, a significant amount of money. And uh, yeah, up pops, once again, Mel Morris, um, because looking at the small print of the Middlesbrough accounts, um, th- there is reference to a compensation payment, of £2.7 million. Now, when Derby County made the playoffs, and I think this was 2019 or 2020, um, they made the playoffs um, ahead of Middlesbrough. And Middlesbrough took the view that Derby would not have achieved that position in the table had it not been for manipulating financial fair play, and therefore they they because the premier sorry, because the EFL was not prepared to to charge uh, derby with a, a breach of ffp as such um derby were on the receipt of a lawsuit from middlesbrough football club and that lawsuit was served to the administrators and this this was one of the issues we discussed whilst derby were in administration does any potential new buyer Want to pick up the risk of having to do a payout to Derby, um, and again, yeah, you know, I've I've been very critical of certain aspects of Mel Morris's behaviour. He came to a private agreement with the Middlesbrough owner Steve Gibson, and he said he would personally pay the compensation in respect of whatever could be agreed. So, two point seven million pounds is is the final degree of settlement. People say well that seems quite low in respect of what you could potentially earn in the Premier League. But yeah, you know, I put the numbers into a spreadsheet and I say, well, hold on, you know, if Middlesbrough finish sixth in the championship, that puts them into the playoffs. That's not the same as promotion. And if you look historically, the club that finishes sixth probably is about an eighteen or nineteen percent chance of going up yes you're going to get an extra 100 million pounds in terms of income but also your wage bill is going to go up your operating costs are going to go up so you know you're probably looking at a, at a profit of 20 million pounds you multiply that by you know 16 to 18% you're probably looking you know that comes at around about 3 million pounds and that's where we got this figure of 2.7 here you, know, you knock off a bit for it's it's cheaper as 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 you know our friend Nick DeMarco always it's always cheaper to, to negotiate a settlement than to to litigate. So so that's I think how they would have worked out um that sum of money. And yeah, you know, Mel Morris kept to his word that he, he would settle um with Middlesbrough privately. Um, rather than putting it through the administration, and that would you know, alleviate and, and take out one particular issue in terms of the, the complications of selling Derby whilst it was under the, uh, the, the hands of Quantum are the administrators.
2: Steve Gibson must be the longest-serving owner in the
0: championship by a factor of many, many years, is he not? Uh, he's he's been around, I think, since like late eighties. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's yeah he's he's a proper fan. Yeah uh and he's in for a total of 239 million pounds and and you know his his reward for that was was getting promoted in 2016 and one year in the premier league and and there's there's lots of people such as steve the venkies have done it Now, well, morris did it to us effectively at derby um we've got the hemmings family at preston we've got uh, i think cargreaves at uh or was it Steve Lansdowne at Bristol City and you, and you you look at the financial commitment which is coming from these people and it makes no logical sense yeah. but then football's not a logical industry no. and yet, amazingly Steve Gibson doesn't look that much older
2: now than he did 30 years ago I I, I dread to yes. think what the portrait in his attic must look like I dread to think <laughs> um another Old traditional team, Kieran, Notts County, their latest accounts are out as well.
0: Yes, uh, they were promoted from the National League um, last season. Um, and what we're seeing is that it's becoming an expensive business getting promoted. Um, they lost £2.8 million. Yeah, that's 50, 55 grand a week for a club in the fifth tier of uh, English football. And you know, based on my figures, the figures I'm sort of putting into the spreadsheets you're now more like you're 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 likely to lose more money in the national league than you are in league two and probably in on average you're probably losing the amounts equivalent to a league one club Um, and and that's for a, a, a a league where you know one club goes up automatically and you've got these playoffs uh for for positions uh for the second place to go up and yeah, you know, if if you talk to people at Sutton and Harrogate, what's it like in League Two? They go, yeah, the first couple of months is okay, the excitement, and then yeah, it's not, it's not, not quite as much fun. Um, yeah, a season or two later. Yeah, was well, I mean Sutton?
2: We'll discuss this, I'm sure, at the end of the season. Sutton mm. have got that terrible dilemma if if they do go down, what they <clears throat> what do they do with the pitch? Um, this next story, Kieran, I, I it's almost like a misprint. <clears throat> as yes, as you can hear it, actually made me cough in surprise because it, it seems here, Kieran, that there was a club in the EFL who have made a profit. It's it's not a huge yes, profit, uh, but and- it's definitely a club
0: in the <laughs> EFL and it's definitely a profit. Uh, yeah. Um, hats off to Stevenage, yeah. um, who were called Stevenage Borough, but they're now known no, as no, Stevenage Football Club. Um, they're managed by Steve Evans, <laughs> Um I, I wouldn't necessarily take business advice from Steve Evans. He is a, a character, uh, I think, is the uh, place. And, and if anybody wants to get a, an insight into his management style, um, I would rec- I'd recommend the book Journeyman by, uh, I think it's Ben Smith, which uh, who, who's a player who, who played for Steve Steve Evans on three or four occasions. And Steve Evans is he's one of those people that's good at spotting a half-decent footballer. Um, but uh, I'll let you form your own opinions with regards to his skills as a uh, as, as a coach overall. Well, Kieran, I'll, um, I'll tell you what
2: else. I was—I absolutely endorse your sentiment. I wouldn't take business advice from Steve Evans, nor would I go into a
0: pub car park with him after eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> very wise. Very wise. Um, so, so how have they managed to make thirteen thousand pounds profit? And and that is the number involved. And and actually, they're one of the very, very few football clubs that overall have made a profit. Um, it's it's because they've got a squad which has got a sum cost of zero. You know, they 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 sign academy players, they, they get free transfers, they have got loans, they they do Bosmans. Um, and because they've not got a benefactor as such who's, who's willing to uh, subsidise the losses, they, they have to have a, a break-even model. And again, Steve Evans, figure of fun for many. Um, I, I do like the fact that he, he once said, um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become the manager of Leeds when he was the manager of Rotherham. And, and if I do get the appointment, I'm going to turn up in a sombrero. And lo and behold, Leeds then appointed him as manager. And he turned up in a sombrero. so you know he's he does have a sense of humour. Yeah. Uh, he's never dull. Um, he's not the referee's best friend, but uh, he, he knows how to operate in that particular market.
2: It's a remarkable story, Stephen. It's because they were a Sunday League team. That's how they started in in 1976, and now here they are holding their own in the EFL. It's it's no secret, Kieran, that um. Yeah, I'm, I'm the proudest of Londoners. We all know that. We all know that I'd be perfectly happy to turn the M25 into a moat and and put Portcullises <laughs> up and have London parcels. But uh, if I, for some reason I was not allowed to live in London, my city of choice would be Edinburgh. I love Edinburgh. Um, so it's with some sadness that I say for the first time, I believe, we talk about Edinburgh City on the pod. And I say it with some sadness because... It's very, rarely good news when we mention <clears> a club for the first time on the pod.
0: Yes. Yeah. Edinburgh City, I, I, did they used to be Meadowbank this or is yeah, it? Oh. Sort of, yeah. I, I th- yeah. Yeah, I think they played at Meadowba- Stadium, they, they yeah. used Meadowbank Stadium. They use Meadowbank Stadium. I, I, I must confess, I've not read sort of the transition. If there is one as such... Uh, Because Meadowbank were always a very curious club because I I remember when they they formed and, you know, I was at the age when I was still reading Shoot and, you know, putting my cardboard tables together um, for the first six weeks of the season until we got bored or or you lost uh, some of the cardboard slots from Shoot to put into your table. But, uh, yeah, Edinburgh City, looking at their accounts, they're technically insolvent. Um they have now said, we've come to a sort of arrangement with HMRC, um, which we believe will allow us to continue to trade for the rest of the season. Uh, a new owner came in at the start of the season, like many new owners, underestimated the extent of the task uh, in terms of the The break-even of of running a football club, they owe money to HMRC presumably for VAT and for for pay as you earn. Um, They've got forty season ticket holders, um, which you know, hats off to all of them because uh, you know, if if there's one thing I can say with a reasonable degree of confidence, you know, I, I buy a season ticket because I want to be able to sit in the same seat each week. Um, And I get that guaranteed. Um, And also, you know, because the matches are sold out, I'm guaranteed a ticket for every match. I I suspect that's not something you'd probably need to worry about. And and I'm not being facetious here towards Edinburgh City because we've always said every fan is equal in terms of their devotion. Their attendance is normally three to four hundred. They've not had a great season. Um, but at least they've got a lifeline. I think there was a, a genuine chance of the club getting foul of HMRC and on the back of that they, they might have uh, uh, been on the, the receiving end of, of a winding up order or worse.
2: Yeah, i that's actually thinking about it. I'm not entirely car. I think Edinburgh City are a completely different club to to Medibank, but I would need to, to confirm that. Yep. I'm slightly distracted by the... 40 season ticket holders. I mean, that's... I I mean, uh, good luck to every single one of them because I I, I don't care anybody says. To to those 40 people, that club is as important to them as Palace is to me and Brighton is to you. Um, Not long before Christmas, Kieran, we rather cursorily covered a story about Nuneaton Borough because it it literally broke five minutes before we started to record. And Mm. we felt that we should cover it, and we did... And we didn't have time to go into as much detail as we wanted to. And it didn't seem at that time as though it's going to develop into such a serious story. But it it has, unfortunately. So I think retrospectively, we probably owe, well, I probably owe, because it, it was me that rushed it through because we had very little detail to talk about. Um, probably owe an apology to non-Eaton Borough fans for not covering it in the detail that perhaps we should have done. Because, as I say, it has turned into a, um, a not good story for a long-established uh, non-league club.
0: Yes, yeah, uh, you know, I I can remember them playing at Middlesbrough, yeah. taking about five thousand, yeah. yeah. you know, third round of the FA Cup in sort of ten or fifteen years ago. And those th- those moments are, you know, we, we've often said, you know, why is football so popular? Yeah, because it's it combines two of the, the greatest things in life, which is relationships and memories um, and, you know, and shared memories. Um, so every, every non-Eaton borough that went to that match will still be talking about it and, st- and will be saying, well, yeah, we, we, we did, we had a chance, you yeah, know, we, we, we could have done. Um, so they, they've had to withdraw from the league. I think they're in the Southern league. Um, all of the first team players have left. They had an eviction letter from somebody uh, a couple of months ago. It looks like they're on the brink of administration but I'm thinking well there's nothing to administer so you know for, for, again for those for those hundreds of fans couple of thousand fans whatever it's going to be um, it's it's sad um, it's very difficult to get airspace it, it, to get an acknowledgement in uh, in in the you know in radio and and the newspapers and so on because Everybody's fighting for, for attention, but it, it doesn't look good at all as, as to whether we're going to have an uneaten borough. And for those fans that go, it's part of their identity, it's part of their routine. And yeah, we, we, it, there are too many of these stories um, uh, over the course of the last few months. Yeah, I think things have accelerated in, in a negative way.
2: Well, I mean, to illustrate your point about airtime, we started off with a, a long discussion about uh, how my club are going to raise the money to build a new stand to get an extra 8,000 people in. Well, uh, we don't know the details of the finances at Nuneaton need, no need Borough. So if there are any fans or officials of the club who want to get in touch with us, we'd be only too happy to mm. to talk to you to find out what is actually happening and to give you some of that information um, oxygen of publicity that might help. Our final story, Kieran, takes us to a, a global brand. We we spoke on the last pod about the the Spanish police getting involved in uh, in Watford, and now the French police mm. have got involved in. Um, with, with all due respect to Watford,
0: a, a, a bigger club than both them and Nonieth Borough. Yes, this is this is major la Territory—it's uh, it unravels more and more. The French police have raided the French finance ministry, and the reason for this is uh, President Macron is being accused of um, having too close a relationship with perhaps. PSG who are Qatari-owned and there are uh, relationships between the French government and the Qatari government. And the accusation that's been made is that um, there has been some form of uh, arrangement which allowed PSG to avoid uh, UEFA charges in respect of financial fair play. There's also accusations of PSG um, employing, and I quote directly, a dirty tricks unit. Now, wow. you know, for in, in in this country, the dirty tricks unit at present is 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 in relation to Ivan Tony and Foamgate. You know, he <laughs> moved a piece of, and I, and I think it's a work of genius, by the way. But yeah, I'm firmly on the Ivan Tony <laughs> side um, in terms of what he did last week. Um, but this dirty tricks unit of FS of FSG, sorry, PSG has been accused of kidnapping, fraud, wow. and blackmail. Um, and then we come to um, somebody who is 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 never short of uh, a party. Is never short of dullness. Uh, it's Neymar. Uh, and if anybody's ever seen uh, been to a Neymar party, uh, we'd love to have you on the show just for the sheer, <laughs> sheer intrigue <laughs> because um, I'm sure 99% of what you say could not be actually broadcast. Uh, but this goes back to when Neymar was a player for Barcelona. And under Spanish football law, um, you don't pay a transfer fee as such, but an individual player has a release clause in their contract. And and what the player has to do is that the player has to pay the release clause. So in the case of Neymar, he had a 222 million euro release clause. And instead of that being paid by the player, um. The accusation, and this is what normally happens, is that he he was given €222 million Euro by PSG, and he then used that money to pay his release clause. And if that is the case, his critics in France, and, and France is quite a high tax regime, said, well, hold on, that £222 million pounds should form part of your remuneration, and therefore you should be taxed on this. Um, so it's all getting murkier and murkier. And you know, as we've seen you know, in, in the UK, people, politicians don't actually deal with the big issues. They're too busy trying to score points in respect of trivialities and so on. Um, so this is now turned to a Macron versus Macron's enemies. The enemies are saying Macron was in cahoots with the Qatari government, because he wanted to win some trade deals, and part of the uh, the entente there would be, well, look, we'll allow PSG, which of course is owned by Qatar, to recruit Neymar, and you'll have Neymar and Messi and Kylian Mbappe, and you'll go on and you'll win the Champions League, and yeah, oh, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll flog you a few aircraft or whatever it is into the bargain as well. You,
2: you can't help feeling that if this story was about the uh, the British police raiding the treasury, it would be somebody like Private Godfrey knocking on a door saying, do, "Do you have a spreadsheet I could look at?" You think? Whereas in France, you know, it would have involved CS gas, doors being kicked in, proper proper stuff, um, which is what yes. I love from. As for Ivan Tony, um, <clears throat> you know my son Ed. Uh, very good yes. comedian. Um, normally only too happy to see anyone stick it to the man. Anyone is only too happy to see anyone give it to authority. I've never seen him so angry about Ivan Tony cheating. Was like, he was just really? ah, furious. And one of the, to be fair, one of his best mates is a Forest fan. So he was taking his lead from WhatsApp messages from him. I, my takeaway from that is who knew you could lift the bloody foam up? When was that since, yeah. since when that's been a thing yeah, yeah. it's a spray on a on a on a grass. how can you lift it up? what's the point of having it if you can lift it up should, that's a that's a design fault that should have been seen through a, a long time ago should that should, a, a long time ago we should be going why is Eze taking that, that free kick three yards away from the goalkeeper well that's where the line is that's <laughs> yeah i would, <laughs> i i think there's a discussion to be had about the um uh, the reintroduction of Ivan Tony. There was one photograph in particular of Ivan Tony uh, in his betting company sponsored Brentford shirt, standing in front of a mm. betting company logo. I, I, I think they could have been a little less high profile with his. Um, reintroduction to be perfectly honest but that's a discussion for another pod thank you to everyone who's donated to pod via our Patreon page if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod that would be very kind of you and it will get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball if you want a question you'd like answered on the show you can email us at questions at priceoffootball.com and if you want any of our merchandise, t-shirts or books then just go to priceoffootball.com. And don't forget, there is still time to vote for the Price of Football in this year's Sports Podcast Awards. This year's prestigious Sport Podcast Awards. We're out for the best sports business podcast. And just spurch. Spurch? You can spurch if you want. Spurch. It'd be probably better if you just searched for Sport Podcast Awards to cast your vote now. We'll also put a link in the show notes. We'll be back on Monday with one of those questions, Pods. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell.
0: Well, thank you to everybody um, for for being in contact. Uh, another benefit of of uh, using Patreon is that uh, you, you can listen to the show advert free if that's what you so desire. Um, there's various ways of supporting the show, and one of the ways is, is to give us a give us a review. It helps us in the charts. It helps us in terms of algorithms and so on. Um, by all accounts, it doesn't matter what you say. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented, and I'm not sure I would tune into this one, uh, by Kate Moss and David Warner, the Australian opening batsman, a man of <laughs> few words of any sense. Uh, but but for the sheer weirdness of it, um, yeah, that, that could be quite a surreal, uh, but I suspect very brief uh, podcast. Yeah, especially if it was recorded after midnight. Bye, everybody. Bye.
2: The Provise Sun for Vote of All.
0: The Provise Sun for Vote of
2: All.